With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to Obey Your Strengths with Gallup Certified Strengths Coach and self-proclaimed strengths geek, Kathy Kirsten. Hi there, strengths fans. I'd like to welcome you back to season four of the Obey Your Strengths podcast. My guest today is Tom Rath. Hi, Tom. Hey, it's good to be with you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I am thrilled. Matter of fact, Tom, you can't see me, but I have a stack of your books sitting next to me. And I am thrilled to get to interview one of my heroes. This is so cool, Tom. Thanks for being here. I hope my vision for my interview today with you is to learn more about what's been going on in your head lately. You came out recently with a new book, and I want to know more about it. It's called Life's Great Question, and I kind of see this as a next step in our employee engagement and well-being journey for those of us who are already headlong into the strengths journey. And I can't wait to hear um, how this book came to be. But before we begin, I have to ask you, which I was surprised I did not know this about you, Tom, what are your top five strengths? You know, I've, I've, I've taken strengths planner so many times in the middle of all the original research on it. Like it's kind of, it's kind of an amalgamation of 10 or 15 times through it for me. But the things that um, always come to the top for me are really kind of that future orientation. I'm always thinking about where things are headed. And I obviously have a really analytical nature. So I'm kind of analyzing and reading hundreds of research articles every morning. And um, then other ones that usually pop up there, kind of that input in election. And then uh, relators usually fourth or fifth. And um, I, I have a decent amount of relator and almost no woo at all. So. <laughs> I've got that that continuum going for me. Oh, we'll partner well today because I've got woo number 10. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I don't I, think I have a later in the top. It. I always find people to work with where I can borrow woo. <laughs> That's true. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll lean into my woo today. I always do every time I walk into the podcast studio. Okay, so strategic thinking themes. I believe I saw something in the Trippify profile. You know, your, your profile is out there. I believe I saw futuristic. Yeah, that's always at the top. Awesome. Well, I love um, getting to know people that I admire. I love getting to know their top five. So it's really, and it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise at all to find out that you have a lot of those strategic thinking themes. I mean, we can feel them. We can see them and feel them in the books that you write. So um, not a surprise at all. Can I tell you how I found your latest book? (laughs) There's a story behind it. Uh, In early 2020, before this whole pandemic thing began, I was heading home from school one day. I dropped off my three kids at school and I was really pining away. The maximizer in me was like, I have to get more efficient. I have to get better at this morning routine thing. So I decided I was going to clean out kids' closets. And my favorite way to clean out a kid's closet is while listening to an audio book. <laughs> so I opened up my Audible platform, you know, my, my app, and it suggested it's not about you. And I thought, oh, new, a new, 
you know, something new from Tom Rath. Let me listen to it. Tom, this, and for those of you who do not know about It's Not About You, A Brief Guide to a Meaningful Life. It is an Amazon original. It's available on Audible. It's available on Kindle. Um, it's actually free if you are a Prime member, which I think, you know, 85% of Americans are. <laughs> uh, you can get this book. And it's a short memoir. So as I'm listening, I'm recognizing stories that I've read and How Full Is Your Bucket, also one of your books, one of your bestsellers. I'm recognizing uh, some ideas that you shared with us in well-being that I learned about in well-being, the book, The Five Elements with you. Um, And then the the, the last chapter kind of had me sitting on the floor of my daughter's closet feeling a little anxious, like live the life that you can contribute. Now, I don't think, I think I'm probably not getting the right part of that, the name of the chapter, Tom, but you created a sense of urgency around figuring out your best ways to contribute. And um, it all started with the fact that you said a quote that I have been known to quote you on a hundred times, right? Um, it's that quote, you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. Tom, I've said that over and over and over again in strengths training and straight my strengths coaching world. And then you said, and it's an incomplete thought and it may lead to a misguided focus. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, have I been missing the boat? What was next? <laughs> So tell me, let's start right there, Tom. Tell me where your thinking came from that maybe that quote that everyone knows you by doesn't fully capture what we need to be thinking about. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a good place to start. And I appreciate you asking about that because it's the more time I spent thinking about it, I think, you know, one of the one of the reasons why all of the work on strength has been so powerful and so influential for a lot of people over the last decade is because there's been such a focus on trying to be well-rounded, be a little bit good at everything, which really doesn't work out that well in the long run and everything. And I, and I think that's really, really accurate. But the one of the challenges is as people start to learn more about who they are and gain more self-awareness, there's kind of this temptation to say, oh, I, I can be more of myself and then the world should fall in line around that. You know, I, I think as we all eventually kind of learn the hard way, um, the world doesn't just come into line based on who we are and the opportunities all just fall into place. That that's why the real challenge and I think the crux of what's most important for once you learn about your strengths, you have to quickly figure out how can I apply who I am to make a difference in the world? Because if you, if you think about who you are as being point A and what the world needs as being point B, it's about drawing those lines and those connections so that you can productively apply who you are to what other people need. And I think that's kind of the, the journey of a real meaningful and successful career if you're able to do that. And, you know, it also fits into there, there's a lot of this discussion about, you know, is it about just natural talent or is it about how much effort you put in? And um, I think it's it's real easy for a lot of natural talent to go to waste if it's not productively applied, just like we've all seen a lot of effort go to waste if people don't have the right talents to uh, apply who they are. Oh, yes. 
Okay. Well, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, we want to get to the nitty gritty of Catripify, which is an, a, a new inventory, not assessment, but inventory that can help make this, uh, this idea of how we contribute aligned to our strengths and aligned to our defining roles and some of our most influential life experiences. And we're going to get to that. But before we do, I want to just, since I have you here, <laughs> I want to talk to you about some very pivotal life stories that you shared in your memoir, as well as in Life's Great Question, that I'm kind of fascinated with. You are a, a best-selling author. Matter of fact, I, I've been doing research for this podcast. I just learned, you know, within the last few weeks that you are Amazon's best-selling offer, author of all time in the nonfiction category. Is that correct? I think the I think the StrengthsFinder 2.0 book is their top-selling nonfiction book of all time. Well, I know it's they still selling, right? <laughs> so it's, right. So that, that's. Yeah, I think that's the most accurate way to put it, which has been, it's been fun to see the reception for all that work over the years. Well, that's amazing and not surprising, but here's the story that kind of like, you know, got me in the, the heart is that you had a high school teacher tell you to stick to math. And I can sort of see why she may have, if you lead with analytical mm-hmm. and a bunch of future thinking, strategic thinking themes, she may have assumed you have the most potential for growth in areas of math. But man, what if your grandfather, who thought otherwise, um, in your uh, letter to him near the end of his life, he said you he saw your neck, your talent for writing, Tom. Um, help me make sense of that. How did others not see that in you, or you not see it in yourself in that in those, you know, high school years? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's the now that you ask about that, I I think there were. A lot of people around me, when I was from a really young age growing up in a family with my grandfather, Don, and others who were, I mean, they were family psychologists and teachers who were always putting me through different assessments and trying to figure out what I was good at and reinforcing things where I did have success. And um, a little bit of that probably contributed to kind of slotting me into the mindset that I was the numbers analytical math guy. Um, and so I, I, I probably contributed to that identity myself based on what I was hearing and the feedback around me. Um, and then I think there were also teachers who um, said, well, here's what you're good at. And it was true that in English, and it was an AP English teacher who said, you know, she was trying to teach me about all these complicated pathos and ethos and logos. And to me, almost made writing sound so complicated, it wasn't even appealing to me, to be honest. Um, and so there were a few things I think that contributed to my kind of distancing from that and saying, I'm a numbers guy. I'm more comfortable in front of a spreadsheet or an SPSS data set. And that's where that's really in my comfort zone. And um, there wasn't much to push or stretch me out of that comfort zone because um, at the time I graduated from college in 1998, there were a lot of careers for people who were into more analytical professions and fields. And um, So I think I could have spent my entire life uh, just focused in that area and maybe, maybe been really happy with it. Um, but as you mentioned, there was that rare circumstance where uh, I wrote a real passionate, meaningful letter to Don about everything he'd contributed in my life in his final months. And he said, you know, I think I see a talent here for writing and bringing emotions to life with words. Would you be willing to share your story in the format of a book if we work on a book together in the next few months? And 
I mean, long story short is that book became How Full Is Your Bucket, um, kind of forced me into more writing, forced me into more public speaking, which I was even less comfortable with. It's a good example of uh, someone like Don spotting a talent that no one else had and giving me a real specific challenge that uh, in that case took me out of my comfort zone and forced me to try a lot of other things that probably have been helpful from a contribution standpoint in particular. I'm still more comfortable in front of the data set, though. <laughs> well, we can tell when we read your books. I mean, your books are full of data. Here's the magic of it, though, is that you make the data make sense to the rest of us who don't lead with analytical, right? I don't think I have an analytical bone in my body. Uh, it's probably... Re- beyond on my on my strengths report it's probably somewhere in the late 20s right um I, I i know that you make it relatable you make it meaningful you make data relatable you make data meaningful as a matter of fact i have uh turned three of your books into a workshop i find your books so easy to consume they're they're typically short they're you, you your uh style of presenting ideas is very repeatable. And so I ha- it's been super easy and I have a knack for instructional design. So my first job at Rack, you know, well, not my first job, but one of my jobs at Rackspace was to work on the employee engagement team. And we were giving people Q12. And one of the questions is I have a best friend at work on the Q12, right, Tom? And uh, mm-hmm. I, when, if, if a team had scored low in that area I created a workshop for around uh, positive interactions, which was based on how full is your bucket. So how to increase more positive interactions in your day-to-day job. And it was, you know, I I went in and presented the five strategies, but it was like, just spend a few hours with Tom Rath's how full is your bucket. And then suddenly I have a workshop. I mean, this is how I did the same thing with well-being. (laughs) It's so easy. So thank you for sharing that story with me. And I ask you that question. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm using your data and the way that you present it to to help others change behavior th- themselves. But as a parent of three young children, you know, I, I have middle schooler and two elementary school students. Um, I'm concerned as a strength-based parent, I'm concerned that I might be putting someone uh, into a certain direction or keep enforcing a certain direction and I might strip an Amazon best-selling author right out of them <laughs> because I'm too focused in a different area. So I appreciate the way you kind of shared this with me and that Don stretched you outside your comfort zone. So keep, I guess the moral of the story is keep giving my kiddos uh, experiences to, to utilize their strengths in new ways. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. I mean, you know, the more I've been studying this lately, thinking about it, I think that uh, kids in particular, and as youth are developing, and uh, then eventually after high school or college entering the workforce, they need a lot more immersion in a range of experiences because some of those experiences can be so powerful. One of the uh, psychologists I've followed and admired quite a bit in recent years, a young guy, Scott Barry Kaufman, he was uh, on a, I think this was just on an email discussion we were having, he was saying maybe instead of 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to the K. Andrews Erickson work, uh, maybe what kids really need is 10,000 hours of experience so they can kind of see that range of what's possible and what's out there. And boy, that was a powerful thought for me because I, I think, you know, we've done, a, we've done a lot of good work in the last few decades helping people to see more about who they are and their 
have self-awareness and think about their personality. Um, but we haven't been able to make as much progress in helping kids to see a real range of experiences. I mean, I, it's remarkable to this day how many young people enter the workforce and they either go where the money is, they go with what's familiar because it's what their parents did, or they go with kind of societal expectations into a very limited range of career pursuits. Oh, I, I can't agree more. Um, I'm very fortunate to get to work with a lot of engineers at, because of my uh, growing up within Rackspace. So my independent strengths coaching life has been very technology focused, uh, working with different technology groups and with engineers specifically, I have found that they they go very deep on their investment in engineering. Uh a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with someone who I said, what is your PhD in? And he said, mechanical engineering. And I said, what is your, well, what was your master's in? Well, I just assumed back, you know, it, I assumed it backwards. Like, oh, you're mechanical engineering for undergrad and for your master's and your, your PhD. You are really invested in mechanical engineering. I hope you love your job <laughs> because at this point you are super invested Wow, it'd be really hard to pivot after spending that much time and investment in doing. And, and he and he right. was, you know, he's he's exceptional at his work. He works at um, a highly competitive uh, tech company. But wow, I kind of can see how uh, we can put people on paths that don't allow them to to maybe find the magic that you found with your an- analytical and your uh, writing talents. Okay. There's another part of this story that I want to kind of underline for myself and my listeners, because my listener group is a lot of people who love strengths, but um, and, but there's a lot of entrepreneurs and there's a lot of managers who listen to my podcast because they're trying to figure out how to use strengths with their teams. And one thing about this story, your high school English teacher story and the Don Clifton story of him recognizing you is the impact of someone affirming your talent in you. If your grandfather, Don Clifton, didn't tell you, like, you have a talent for a way with words, a talent for words. And matter of fact, do you want to quote him exactly to what he said to you, Tom? Yeah, I think I think what he said after he read that uh, letter that I sent to him, he said, you know, you have a gift for bringing things to life with words and um, kind of some of the emotions of it. And he asked me, I mean, real specifically to share my personal story about battling cancers I grew up in if I'd be willing to share that in the form of a book. And so the, there's also something about not only the recognition of a talent someone hadn't noticed, it's really important, but then uh, giving someone one heck of a challenge. It was way out of my comfort zone to try something different there. And I think that's a piece that uh, we, we, I may have, or a lot of people may have underestimated in terms of saying, okay, once you identify a natural talent, how do you help people to see the practical application and how to challenge them in that regard in real specific ways. Some of the best mentors and managers and coaches really do that well. I I agree. And I fear that I haven't done that well enough. Uh, I Because I've gotten to work with thousands of people with their strengths and helping them understand and discover and catch themselves using their strengths and then thinking about how their strengths align to their day-to-day work. But this recognition piece and this challenge piece is where I could definitely do better. I don't know if you can hear my maximizer, but <laughs> I feel like I need, to start, I need to start doubling down on that as well as adding in this contribution. And let me tell you, I've already changed 
a lot of my orientation and my coaching calls to be more of, okay, now that we know who you are, who are you serving? And so let's, let's move, if we could, let's move to life's great question. Um, now, life's great question is uh, your latest book and the tagline under it is discover how you contribute to the world. And the idea that you, and you, you briefed us on it earlier, but this idea of understanding who you are and then what you contribute. And I love your definition of contribute. What does it make, mean to make a contribution? Will you share that with, with me one more time? Yeah, I think that one of the things that, you know, I spent a lot of time doing research on contribution and how we can unpack that and think about it more clearly. And I, one of the things that focused this book and inspired this book um, is, is one of my favorite quotes from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who said, I believe the direct quote is, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And at first I saw that quote, I don't know, five years ago or longer, and I'm like, that's such a great inspirational quote to focus a career or whatever. But at some point I realized that it's a really good question to ask yourself every single morning before you start work to focus how you spend your time in a single day. Yeah, and what I mean by that is, you know, the more I was, when I'm getting ready for work, driving to work, heading to a meeting, traveling somewhere, the more frequently I can ask myself that question, if you can spend even an hour in a given day focusing on an effort or a project or a person or a conversation that you know will continue to help that person grow and pay dividends and make a difference when you're not there, that's something that I think is much more meaningful work that can continue to uh, grow and contribute and make a difference almost in perpetuity. So um, I've, I've been asking myself that question on a daily or at least a weekly basis at a minimum uh, for the last few years. And I, and I think that's helped to align a lot of my efforts. And to get back to your uh, original question about the definition of it, after I'd done a lot of this research, I was on a call with a group of students on the West Coast, mostly uh, Stanford graduate students. And one of them said to me, oh, I get it. I see all what you're talking about. So basically right now, they said, this person said, people think about, uh, it's kind of like you are what you do, but you're saying it's really you are how you help. And I, I think that basic thought of orienting your work around you are how you help is is a much uh, more effective and productive way to anchor your core identity in your career because that way your efforts are really focused outward as much as possible instead of being focused inward on you are what you do or I mean a lot of people even focus on kind of you are what you get out of it from a emotional or financial standpoint and I think the more we end up focusing inward in a given day that's when you get inside your own head you get stressed out about things and the thing that was kind of fun and a, a, a good learning for me as I went through this work is the more you focus your energy on another human being the faster you get out of your own head and the more uh, enjoyable and liberating and fun your work days are. Absolutely. And I can see this all around me. Um, and I love how the concept that you are, the concepts, right? There's multiple concepts that go into this, understanding your contribution, right? Understanding your your roles, the different roles that you play on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, your life experiences and how they build 
to make your contrib- contribution unique. Uh, then, of course, aligned to your strengths, which are who, you know, what makes us who we are, what makes us successful. Uh, I love this idea and I see it coming to fruition whenever I'm really close to my customer, whoever my customer is. And I'm kind of using that because I'm from the corporate world, like the word customer, but I could say whoever I'm serving, whether it's my children, um, my husband, because some of my defining roles, Tom, or mother and wife, um, or my leadership, you know, in my leadership coach role where I can stay close to the people who I am investing a lot of my time and my talent into helping them develop, I'm a more happier person and I'm less stressed about um, my own fulfillment whenever I I know that I'm fulfilling them. Does that make sense? (laughs) It it does. And I think, you know, I, I hope at least that's the case for a majority of us where we want to make that difference and be able to see that contribution and feel good about it and know that it kind of makes our efforts grow more exponentially. Um, But I think the challenge and the reason I was trying to um, put together a basic inventory or profile or discussion guide for people is because it's so easy. I mean, I think the default right now, I, I do it myself and I see a lot of people do it is we get a team of people together and a lot of times it's people that act a lot like us or think like us or look like us and everything else. And we're all excited about the same thing. And then we say, yeah, we want to do this. Let's hit the ground running. And then all of a sudden, three, six months later, we realize we've all been headed in the same direction, doing the same things. And our efforts have been overlapping 70, 80% of the time um, because we didn't take a moment and step back at the outset and say, Here's who I am. Here are those roles you talked about. Here's here are my life experiences. Here are my strengths, and here's how I want to contribute in a unique way to this specific team. We just, I mean, especially right now with everything going on, we really don't take the time to have those level-setting conversations so that the next six, twelve months play out better when we bring people together in teams and groups. I love that you're thinking about this in the perspective of teams, because let me tell you a real challenge to my uh, strengths coaching experience has been. I, I go in and work with organizations and the, the feedback I hear was, we love it, but now what? Okay, so that's the number one piece of feedback I've, I've heard in the last uh, 12 years of doing strengths coaching is that, okay, now that I've got this and I understand strengths and I understand my top five or my top 10, uh, now what? And for a while, I thought that now what question was just this gap and understanding how to develop your strengths. And I thought, gosh, man, why can't they see this? This is so easy. Like whether you open up Fighter 2.0 and go find the 10 development goal, you know, development ideas, or just start working in relationship with another person, because that's how we know you will develop the most. Um, But now, after reading this book, and, and thinking very deeply about this, Tom, I'm wondering if the now what leads to, but now that I know these things about myself, what do I do with them, right? How do I contribute them? Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of excited about another Another step in this journey. So with with Strengths Finder 2.0 and now discover your strengths, you know, like with Strengths Finder, right? You gave us a language to understand human talent and potential. With Contribuify or Contribify, you're giving a, you're pulling all these other things together and you're giving us new language about understanding 
how we contribute. Um, so there is a, let me just tell the, the group, when you purchase the book, Life's Great Question, you, you get a code to an inventory, an online inventory that asks you a mixture of reflection questions as well as, uh, now what do you call those other kind of questions where <laughs> you rate yourself on them? What are those called, scientist Tom? <laughs> well, it's kind of a prioritization exercise. And, and it's interesting you mentioned, it's, it's, I intended for that to be pretty situational. So it's the specific question is, here's how you want to contribute to this team. So it's Given who you have together, how are you thinking about contributing in a specific circumstance? So unlike the when you think about your natural talents that are less likely to change over months and years, um, what I was trying to help people get at is here's how I think I can best contribute to a given effort. And that's why the system you referred to is kind of set up where you can go do it an unlimited number of times. And we give people a couple codes with each book for different logins so that you can have a conversation and start to do it as a team. So it, that's just to kind of clarify, I think it's, I'm hopeful that's kind of an overlay about how you want to uh, make specific contributions and efforts given a team or a family group or a nonprofit, as you talk about kind of in your experiences there. Um, the thought would be that you could go through and build your profile and it might be different for different teams. Okay. This is why I need to talk to you because I want to be, an early adopter of this thing. I want to understand how I transition those people I'm working with on strengths into the next step in the team context, right? Because I believe with strengths, the rubber meets the road in teams, right? We, it's, it's great for us to be self-aware and to be self-managers, but unless we're being leveraged for the things that we, the value that we bring, we're not going to be fulfilled. So I really am excited about this. So there's, Three different, I guess, roles or different types of contributions in your mind, right? Or what you're presenting to us. And I took my assessment. I fell into, um, <laughs> I, I got my, th my greatest contributions, Tom, are achieving, which falls under operating, uh, teaching, which falls under creating, and influencing, which falls under relating. Well, and I think I'm missing miss saying that. So achieving falls under operate. So there's three areas, operate, create, and relate. I happen to have one in each, which I was kind of bummed about. I was hoping I'd all end up in creating, <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about this in the context of who I am as a leadership coach. Um, okay. And that's what I came up with. So what I would want to do, so to help me realize like, what, what's your vision? What did your vision uh, what did your futuristic see for managers of teams or, co or coaches like me to use this with a team? So now that I know these things about myself, do I want to surround myself with a well-rounded team that has other contributions that I do or, you know, similar or different? Tell me what, what your vision is for me to use this with a team. You know, it's, it's a good question because when you look at what we were trying to do from a team standpoint here, we, we pretty much started with a group of colleagues and experts saying, well, what do any teams have to do uh, at a very functional, basic level? And independent of what industry you're in or who you're serving, teams really, they have to create something. So you need a product or service and teams need to uh, relate to one another and have, have good relationships that continue to grow and build and thrive over time. And then they also need to operate and execute and continue to get things done. So, at a core level, 
no matter what type of team you're getting together, whether that's a faith-based group, a nonprofit, or a corporate group, someone on the team needs to put their hand up from the outset and say, I'm going to make sure that I'm contributing in those three areas. So you do need to have those three areas covered in my experience. So if you have a leadership team that uh, doesn't have anyone who's dedicating themselves to help making sure you're building and maintaining relationships, you're in a lot of trouble. If you don't have someone thinking about the operational and execution pieces, the wheels are going to fall off the bus. And you really can't get started if you don't have at least um, one person who's working in that creative area to make sure you've got the right products or services in the first place. So um, at the most fundamental level, whether you have people go through the Contribify inventory or uh, do any other activities, I think to sit around a table or a Zoom meeting and have that level setting conversation to make sure you're covering those three bases is an important starting point. And then once you are at that point, then to get into more specificity about how each person can contribute in all those areas is, is the next step. Ah, this is so great. This, you know what, I think this is an upgrade for what a lot of us strengths coaches might be using I can tell you that I've had these similar conversations when we look at the four domains of strengths, right? So we, when we look at the team grid and we plot everyone's top five or top 10 on a team grid, and we have the four domains of strategic thinking, influencing, relationship building, and executing. And I've sort of been pushing people like, well, we want a well-rounded team, not well-rounded individuals. Think of yourselves as more like a sports team. You each have a unique role and play to it as best you can. And we want well-roundedness. Well, let's be honest. It's really hard to get influencing strengths. Not really hard. I mean, there, some of them, I've worked with a team that had, a, you know, four out of the five executives had self-assurance and command. Woo, that was an exciting, <laughs> that was an exciting workshop, Tom. Uh, but I, I like this idea of operate, relate, and create because it's more oriented about why we're together versus how all of our talents line up on a grid. We are together in a team environment for a goal. And, and that has to do with creating something, product or service, um, or you know, fulfilling a mission, operating it and, and moving it forward and then bringing people along with us, the relating piece. And this feels really good to me, uh, my gut. Well, a lot of Tom Rat stuff does. <laughs> So I'm kind of excited to start betaing this this um, concept and seeing where people fall on their contributions, and then just having a healthy conversation. At the end of the day, uh, and maybe this is my unique way of of seeing this, and it may not sound really good to someone who has analytical and loves lots of facts and hard and fast and black and white. But at the end of the day, I'm always shooting for a great dialogue that helps us be more aware of the talents that we have available in our teams. And so I see this being a great tool for that at the minimum. And Kathy, you know, it's a good point because I think that the dialogue is what's essential. And I always, I always remind people when I'm talking about uh, all of Gallup's great work on engagement and strengths, that there's a reason why the question on the Q12 was, I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. That question never said, I get to use my strengths all the time to do everything. Right. And it's in most of our careers, even where I am now, and where I, I don't think I've talked to anyone who gets to use their strengths all day, all the time. 
And so there are going to be times where, I mean, the relationship piece and that in those in that equation, the relating is not what I do best. But I, I got a team together six, 12 months ago where it was just a bunch of wild creative thinkers. And I was the best one on that group probably to say, I'll make sure we're getting together regularly and doing the relationships. So I have to pitch in an area where I wouldn't have identified as a dominant strength of mine right there because these are the things that a team often needs to do to be able to meet the needs and make the right contributions for their customers, their communities, the people they serve. And so I think it is important for teams to have that dialogue so that um, instead of all of us just getting together and saying we're going to do what we want or what we think we're best at, a lot of times there's overlap there, and some negotiation. We have to say, here's how I'm going to commit to contribute where we need it. Oh, Tom, I have loved this conversation. I can't wait to hear more from other people who are, you know, strengths geeks like me who are picking up this um, new book and they're taking the Catribify profile and we're starting to share it. Uh, you know, on social media, and we're starting to learn from each other to see how others are using this. This has been uh, a, a wonderful activity for me to do. And it's helped seeing. So one thing that I love about the report is that you have that top page that captures everything that is meaningful uh, to me on the first page, Tom, like, that's so brilliant, because I just post it posted it right next to my computer on my desk, right? And it reminds me that I'm not, um, that I'm, I'm complex, right? And that I am more than my top five strengths or, or my top three is what I listed. By the way, I listed strategic belief and maximizer. Those are the things that I cannot turn off. <laughs> and, um, you know, it just helps me remind, it helps me to remember how I spend my time. And you have taught us over and over again through all these books, how to make a more meaningful life. And I thank you for your contribution. You, um, your contribution carries through in my contribution to the world. And I, I'm just so pleased to get to tell you, thank you. So thanks for what you've done, Tom. Thank you very much. You know, it's been fun to, I, I have your Contribify profile, that first page right here on my desk as well. And it's a, it's a really interesting way to kind of get to know people faster and increase the speed of trust and relationships and understanding of one another on groups. So thank you for taking the time to study that and for your thoughts and ideas about it. Oh my goodness. You just, that's a hello, hello managers out there. You need this top page for a one-on-one, right? It gives you lots of material to ask about. <laughs> you just kind of, my ideation just went off, Tom. Uh, thanks for your time today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and uh, I'll be watching for more Tom Wrath resources coming out in the future. Thanks for your time, Tom. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Obey Your Strengths. To learn more about Kathy or hire her for your company or private coaching, visit ObeyYourStrengths.com. You can also find her on Instagram at Kathy.Kirsten. Obey Your Strengths is produced by Kirsten Consulting, LLC, in association with Game Day Media out of San Antonio, Texas.